In chapter 1, verse 4, yeah, and if you don't have a Bible, we'll happily give one. We've got a whole bookshelf full just for you. And if you have, you know, and if you have a phone, Landon can tell you all the apps. Jesus has told his disciples after his resurrection to wait in Jerusalem. It's interesting. He's going to ultimately meet them in Galilee and he's going to take them back to a hill that he set aside. I can't help but think it was the hill that Jesus taught his first great message, Matthew 5 through 7, we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to take them back to that place. Back, by the way, when ministry was, if I could bring you to Jesus, he could fix you. Man, if you can't get that, None of your ministry is going to be anything except exhausting and depleting. That's all these guys understood. I mean, they weren't; these guys weren't like the kind of guys that sat in a big padded chair with a cigar and waxed eloquent on theology, so to speak. But they were the experts on God because they hung out with him. And Jesus has this period of time in between the Passover and Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days. Thus, it's termed. Pentecost means 50 and uh, in between this time, you have the slaughtering of the lamb for the freeing of the people and the celebration of the first great harvest. Now, please don't ever just assume because I say it, it's true. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Uh, in these 50 days, we read there are 40 days where uh, Jesus has told them, you know, wait. And they've been waiting for these 40 days. I mean, they don't know, you know. Uh, they don't know what to, to wait for, except for that Jesus says this. I mean, he's just about he's just about to um, he's just about to to ascend, and we read this in chapter one, verse four of Acts. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, which they they will, by the way, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you have heard from me. And John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, therefore, when they had come together and they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to him, it's not for you to know the times and seasons in which the Father has put in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And then when he had spoken these things, as they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is Jesus' last statement. This is the one statement you're going to remember, right? You've been with Jesus for three and a half years. And I mean, imagine spanning your mind for all the amazing things he said. I mean, to think that everything he speaks is essence is verbal scripture. And he's the living word. And you're trying to take all that in. I mean, even a message where it's, you know, an hour long here, or 40 minutes long is going to overwhelm. Uh, and yet Jesus, and you're trying to figure out all of that. But Jesus is like, okay, here, here's the last thing right before I go. Don't forget this. And it'll be the one thing you remember. I mean, it's that first statement, the last statement. The first statement we read that Jesus says to his disciples is come and see. I like that as the beginning of your walk. And Jesus here now says, look at, stop, stop thinking where you're thinking. Now understand, we've been raised as Jewish people here with the idea that there's a kingdom coming and there's a king that's coming to set up that kingdom. Now, when that kingdom comes, every enemy of Israel will be vanquished. That that means is, is that anyone who hates Israel is, is either going to become their friends or they're going to get wiped out. Uh, and so, you know, you get tired of getting picked on. You're the little kid in school. 
all of the bullies have been picking on you, and it seems like the class is 30 people, 29 bullies, and you. And, and God says, you know, there's a day coming when a new teacher comes into the classroom, and when that new teacher comes in, a new regime is going to happen, and that teacher is going to beat up the 29 bullies, and you'll be the only one left. And you think, wow, I can't wait for that day. Imagine being excited about that. And that's kind of the idea here. And so you, know, you can understand why you're waiting for that. And now the reason why you want that, to be honest, is because you kind of feel powerless. I mean, you feel powerless as everywhere you turn, somebody really has their tanks pointed at you. And that's the same today. I mean, in every direction, if you look at the landmass of Israel, to the north is Lebanon, and then Syria, and then Jordan, and then Egypt. And every one of them is no friend to Israel. And you go beyond that, you have Iraq and Iran, you have Saudi Arabia. None of them are friends of Israel. You go this way, and you have Turkey, that's no friend of Israel. And then you have the big Mediterranean Sea. It's just kind of a place where you're kind of the one kid, and no matter what neighborhood, whatever postcode you go into, someone's still gunning for you. And, and so you're looking and you feel powerless because you feel like you can't even go to these neighborhoods because you feel like you're going to get jumped. And you've got little guys running around saying, We're gonna, we won't stop until we've completely eliminated your race from the planet, your government from the planet, and we're going to drive you to the sea. And it's not, there's nothing new. It's, that's today's headlines. That's not just back then. And, and you're, you're feeling powerless and you're looking and going, God, I, you know, is this the time when you're going to come in and, and kick some serious enemy here? And Jesus goes, stop. That's, that's, stop looking for that. Stop looking for that. Why wouldn't we look for that? Jesus goes, let's go beyond that. The reason why you want that is because you feel powerless. I understand that. So let's just meet you where you're at. Look at, you're going to receive power. This is what you should be looking for. You're going to receive power. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. Now, m- m- work with me on this. The word power, dunamis, we, we get the word dynamite from it. And that's normally where our more demonstrative part of our family as, as Christians will take it. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have power. And, boom, you know? and you think, wow, I don't want that. Do you want that? You know, I mean, I don't want to like spontaneously combust and be a mess and be out of control. And, and, and what happens is, is that if you're the kind of person that tends to be a little bit more, I hate to say sensible, but a little bit more reserved, and you hear that, you think, wow, maybe the Holy Spirit's for them and not for me. Well, what a grievous thing to think that the third of the whole Trinity is going to be, you're going to avoid because you're afraid that he'll turn you into a maniac. But let's face it. I mean, if he said, look at, here's a pill and you take this pill and you'll become, oh, you're thinking, well, that's a pill I'll be avoiding. I don't know about you. How much more when it's something you can't necessarily see and it's an entity and you're going, you know, I mean, what someone's saying is, you know, what that can be the way, if you're honest, the way it can be interpreted is something wants to possess you and make you crazy. And I think, wow, that really sounds like a room to avoid. And so, but understand that throughout Scripture, God is already come upon many people in the Old Testament. And if you were a Jewish kid raised up, this is what you knew. What you knew is, there was a guy who couldn't necessarily speak, who argued with God, whose spirit came upon, and he led a bunch of people out of Egypt. That I knew. And then there was another guy who was so freaked out because he was so scared, he was high, he was threshing wheat in a, in a wine press where there's no wind, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he becomes a mighty man. Then there's another guy that's this king who really just seems to be this kind of, you know, he's hiding in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the equipment and all this, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he leads the people. 
But then he turns his back and shows the unconsecration of his heart. And God removes that anointing and puts it on the next guy who remains with for the rest of his life. That man, of course, we know as David. There are other people the Holy Spirit comes upon. And what we find is with every case, the Holy Spirit comes upon people to strengthen them to do the calling God's given them. Which means that God has put a calling in every one of these individuals. And as he gives them a calling, they cannot humanly do it. So think about this. What that means is God says, I have a calling on your life, if this applies to you, and it does if you've given your life to Christ. I have a calling on your life that's going to be so far beyond you, the only way this can happen is if I actually power you to do it. That's a really cool idea. Now, we kind of, and for every human, let me say this for the guys, for the men in the room, and I don't mean to sound genderous here, but let me just say this. I happen to notice that guys are born with this desire to be a hero. Now, I, I don't know about girls because... Quite frankly, it shouldn't surprise you. I'm not one. But, but for guys, it just seems like when you talk to guys, there's this part of you that just wants to be a hero. And whether that's you run around in a, with a bed sheet on your shoulders when you're a little kid and you jump off of the couch, or whether it's you just, you know, you watch somebody else who does something great in whatever the arena is, sports or otherwise, and you're like, I want to be him. There's that part of you that wants to be a hero. And God says, look it, humanly, you're just, you're the damsel in distress, but if I can power you, I've called you to be a hero, but you can't be a hero in your strength. I'm going to have to power you to do it. And he's looking at a bunch of people who are hiding in a room like this, fearful that a Roman soldier is going to show up and kill us all. And they killed Jesus. He's resurrected from the, from the dead. And we're hiding in a room now to pray and go, God, please don't let us die. Jesus looks and goes, I know you're, you're weak. And I know you're chickens. And the funniest part is, is that I'm calling you a bunch of weaklings, you bunch of chickens, to change the world. And every one of us instantly starts to get diarrhea as we start to think of it. <laughs> because we're so freaked out by the thought of that. And you know what the funny thing is? We could look at each other and think, well, sure, Micah, I, I think God can do that with Micah. Or Luke, oh yeah, or, or Leon, come on, mighty. I mean, I, I, just, I see it in him. And then you, it's like you crawl into Arbor and I look and go, oh, Landon, of course. And then you crawl into Landon's brain and you go, well, that person, of course, but not me. <laughs> and, it, and if you went around the room, it'd be like, that's what you would hear in every one of our hearts. And Jesus goes, okay, by the way, I already know that. So before you already start want to throw in the fact that you can't do it, let's just put on the table, you can't. But I can. And if you start with that, Jesus is like, can you all agree that I can? And you're like, well, sure, you, you beat death. You, you healed everything that was in front of you. You chased demons. I, I really don't think you can't. Well, Jesus goes, so what would happen if I crawled into you and then just started doing it? Moved your hands and I moved your mouth and I moved. Do you think I could do that? Or is somehow death something I can conquer, but you're not? But I have a will. Well, so did Satan, but he lost. And he's a lot more powerful than you are. Figure that one out. And so Jesus is looking at these individuals and he's going, look at, I want you to recognize here, I, I, I know you're weak. So stop pretending for a moment. I know you're fearful. So stop pretending for a moment because in your pretending, you won't juice up. But this isn't just saying that you'll kind of dabble. Now here's the next problem is this particular word because as Christians, we tend to turn events out of states. And here's one of those great places. It says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And it says, you'll be, you'll be baptized, you'll be immersed. Now there's the problem. Because we tend to think of baptism as a, an event. 
And I just want to thank the Lord because then I was, I was a horrible sinner and I was kicking nuns and pumping, punching puppies and nasty person, but now I gave my life to Jesus and I was baptized in 1974. And man, that's how, I was like, oh, well, that's really nice because that was an event. And I can agree with you. That would be an event. Jesus tells us to be baptized. The problem is, is the word wasn't invented in the Bible. Like a lot of these terms, we tend to think, oh, that was like Jesus is like, well, we need a new word for an event. Let's create something. Now that we're Christians, you know, we can't kind of do the Jewish thing. Let's kind of make it Jewish, but let's invent, let's try baptize. That's, I mean, nobody says words like that. That's a neat word. We could say it in the church, baptize, baptize, baptize. And oh, that's, oh, we know you must be Christian because nobody else uses words like that. Well, that's not true. Baptize, bapto, just means to immerse. As a matter of fact, you can find the word in a recipe for making pickles. You can't get, you know, it's not like, they weren't holy pickles. It wasn't like the priest's pickles. They're just pickles. How do you baptize, you know, how do you make pickles? You have to kind of baptize the cucumber into the vinegar and whatever else you choose to do. Now understand, it's also used in the sinking of a ship. It is also used in dyeing a cloth. But the thing isn't baptized until it's in a state of immersion. That would make sense. Now, in other words, if you, I mean, it isn't like, well, the ship was baptized. And what that meant is some big hands, you know, Zeus or whatever, grabbed it and went, blah, 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 and took it back up again and said, there you go. Now, my ship was baptized. Let me tell you, if your ship was baptized, it's still down there. <laughs> And it really makes me real grieved when I, especially in this specific area, as they talk about, well, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because to be honest, I don't really care if you've ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit. If it's a state, the question is, are you baptized right now in the Holy Spirit? Because mm. we've dealt with, uh, you know, first of all, I, apparently there were 25 people that were original 10 people back when Calvary Chapel started. I've met at least 75 of the original 25. You know, you know, and what's funny is when Pastor Chuck showed up, um, Pastor Chuck Smith, most of those people left anyways. So, you know, I was one of the original 25 and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit back in 1971. Now, what are you doing today? Well, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, I'm smoking pot, and I'm kind of living, I'm running from the law. And I'm like, wow, who cares what happened back in 71? The question is, where are you today? And I love the fact that even in the verb tense of this, the idea isn't just that I'm going to kind of take you. Wouldn't it be a bummer? If what God said is, oh, I know you're going to be scared, so I'm going to go bloop, and then take you out. Because I'd be like, bloop, oh, I'm super strong now, and I can trust the Lord, and I've got all kinds of good, bloop, I'm back being fearful again. Wouldn't that be horrible? As if somehow you were like a banana, and like the Holy Spirit was like chocolate sauce, you know? And God's like, oh, I'm just going to bloop, bloop, and there you go. And it's like, wait, I've got a coated shell on me? But what we knew from Scripture was weak, seemingly insignificant, powerless, ill-equipped individuals who could do nothing in and of themselves but create trouble were then swallowed up by the Holy Spirit and God did amazing things through them. And he goes, it's your your turn now. I think, my turn? But I'm weak and... Wait a minute. That's just like all those other guys that I knew in history. And it's like God gave us the whole Old Testament. And one of the reasons is, he says they were written as examples for us. As I look at those individuals, I think, well, there you go. Okay, we're in a place where God takes people just as dumb and weak and ill-equipped and freaked out as we are. And he says, good. Well, then let's stop pretending for a moment that what you need is a little kick and everything's going to be good. You know, what you need is, is, is everything. 
And what you bring to the table is surrender. That's the only thing. I bring my surrender to the table, my garbage, all my, you know, here are my faults and my baggage. I'll just lay that down. And Jesus goes, good. Well, now we can be honest with each other. The good news is if you come with anything else, God's going to have to spend the rest of the time dealing with your pride. You know, and it's like, that's the one thing that's the biggest obstacle I find in all of scripture. He hates that. He doesn't want to compete with you for you. And so he's like, look at the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses. That's what you should expect to happen. Everything that I'm going to do by putting my Holy Spirit on you to equip you, to empower you, is for the one thing you were the most freaked out about doing. I mean, if the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to actually give you all brooms. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn you into saintly, you know, saintly street sweepers. I think most of it would be like, okay, we're kind of cool about that. I mean, we might, you know, sooner or later, someone's going to figure out that someone with a broom is a Christian and they'll make fun of us for having brooms or whatever. But in the end of it all, we'll just, so most of us will just probably just try to sweep in our house to feel like we've done something with our brooms. You know, and in all of it, you know, but the fact is like, I want you to go and do something that just isn't natural. Approach a stranger and just start talking to them. Or approach someone, worse yet, that you know, that you think might like you, and actually tell them who you really are. And now all of a sudden things get a little bit weirder. And, but, but I know that. I know, I know you can't do that. I know that. So, so I'll do it through you. And, that's what you, and so we wait. And we wait and we wait. Ten days we're still waiting. Because there's 40 days and then Jesus ascends. 50 days from that point, from the beginning to end to Pentecost. So there's ten days left before Pentecost. Jesus didn't tell us when. He didn't tell us how. And he didn't tell us what to expect except one thing. He didn't say anyone was going to speak in tongues. He didn't say that anyone was going to prophesy. Although we saw that with people. The prophesying part we saw in the Old Testament. We didn't see this tongues thing. That's a whole, seems like a revolution here. Although, traditionally... Things like the prophets of Baal spoke in other languages. So it isn't like I'm looking for that thing and that must be spirit filled. Well, it could be just not the right one. And this is all I know. Jesus says, here's the one focus. When my spirit comes upon you, this is the one thing you should expect. You'll be able to testify. You can't right now. You'll be the witness I intend for you to be. And by the way, this is where it starts in your Jerusalem. I mean, here you are. Here's your world and its concentric circles. The first circle is where you're at. It's your Jerusalem. And in your Jerusalem, he goes, that's the first place you're going to become a witness. It's going to be the people who know you the best. And then you think, well, can you just send me somewhere else? Because those are the people I have the hardest time sharing with. God goes, I know. So if that's the hardest group and my spirit comes upon you and you can share with them, then who couldn't you share with? You see why God would do it that way? Like in the moment you have to call and say, oh, Dad, I gave my life to Christ. And he's like, what in the world does that mean? You're like, oh. And I was praying for an opportunity to share the gospel, and it happened in the first three seconds of my conversation. Yeah. Hey, guys. Sorry, we can't smoke pot anymore. I gave my life to Jesus. Well, I'm kind of a Christian. I smoke pot. Well, no, no, no. Actually, I really gave my life to Christ. And to be honest, I don't need that because Jesus has filled that hole. Well, what happened to you? Did you hear what I said? And you realize that if God can start with you, Jerusalem, then it spreads. Judea. That's just the region that it's found in. My neighborhood, to Hampstead, to Camden Borough, that would be Judea, would be my borough, so to speak. And then, you know, the London, then he says, and then to Samaria, and Samaria was the, com- the competitive area. I'm not too sure exactly what a London as a whole hates at this point, but let's just say it's something, you know, <laughs> maybe if it was 100 years ago, it'd be like, you know, you'd be like a witness in London, and then maybe even France, you know, and you, know, and you can see, what, French? You have to share with the French? Yeah, yeah, actually, because what that'll show is the French will be so freaked out by the fact you're nice to them 
and they just might listen. And then the ends of the earth. I mean, once you can get past those people that you naturally have a rivalry with, well, then where wouldn't you go? And you know, that's, in other words, your Samaria will be the one place you say, Lord, I'll go anywhere but there. And God goes, I think you just found your Samaria. Oh, Lord, I just love you. I'll go everywhere in the world that, except, but everywhere else. I've, here's a map, and I've blacked out this little area, but the rest of it, just wherever, just put a dot wherever it is, <laughs> any, anywhere, anywhere over here, anywhere, I'm good with. And God's like, move your head. You're like, no, 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 that's, that's not important. Anywhere, you know. And God says, well, that's your, that might be your boss. That might be. Uh, and God says, I found your Samaria. But I want you to be a witness. No. How does he make us witnesses? Now, it's interesting, and I think that, well, God knows, for 1,400 years, we've been bringing in grain at the beginning, the first great harvest of the year, and we're saying, thanks, Lord. And we brought in our first fruits of it back when we actually had the um, Feast of Passover, but now it's 50 days later, we've had our first harvest. It's the barley harvest, and we, we gather it all, and we, we lay our, the best of it, the best of it before God, and say, God, thank you. This, this was clearly your work, not mine. I, I mean, I put my hands to it, but there's no way this could happen without you doing it, and you did it. Thanks for doing it. And as you did it, let's, um, let's celebrate it together. So I just want to give it back to you and say, look, this belongs to you, not to me. This belongs to you. Let's enjoy it together. I just want to give you credit and just remind you that the entire harvest belongs to you too. But I just want to celebrate that with you because you're the one who did it. Thank you. So we all come together and here we all are thankful. I mean, this is a time of thankfulness. I mean, what happened is somehow in all of it, it was tax time and we all got rebate checks. How that worked, we don't know. But all of a sudden, we're bringing that and we're kind of taking it to the Lord and saying, thank you. This wasn't anything I earned. This is... You know, this was a gift. This is a gift from you. And in all of that then, at this place where it's the feast of the first great harvest, and God had prepared our mind for that for 1,400 or so years, for right about a millennium and a half, now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon these guys. They start to speak in these other languages, which is... Which one of us wouldn't freak out at that idea? I mean, and apparently these weren't languages. There wasn't one language that nobody understood, but rather they were a bunch of languages that a whole lot of other people understood. We just may not have. Because at this feast, the entire known world seems to gather together. If you're Jewish, it doesn't matter where you came from, you're going to show up here to drop off your grain and celebrate this great feast of the first great harvest. And so all of a sudden, someone stands up. Now, what would that be like? So here we are. Now, understand, for those 10 days, we have no idea what to expect. He didn't say expect tons of fire or anything like that. Because if that were the case, we'd just look around and, wow. And what would you say? I mean, Peter would be like, well, my tongue's kind of hot. How about yours? You know, I mean, think what you could say. But it's even worse than that. We have no idea what to expect. So we're all kind of praying. And what are we waiting for? The power. How are we going to get the power? I don't know. I just want the power. And someone's stomach goes, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh, maybe that's it. You know? <laughs> and there's a crack at the wall. You know, the wall, kind of the house settles. And are like, oh, maybe that's it. Because we don't know what in the world we're looking for. And that's the cool part is we were just a bunch of people that we just, all we knew was Jesus. And all we knew by Jesus was he just did all kinds of really cool stuff. And then after we resur- after he resurrected, he like would disappear and he'd show up. And then he'd disappear and he'd show up. And it was like, you just never knew when God just might manifest in front of you. What a cool thought. I mean, if the church loses that, why do we assemble? If we don't expect Jesus to show up. Or we're just going to kind of pray and hope for something. Well, we don't even know what. Cool. They didn't either. 
You know, I mean, all, all he knows, I mean, imagine it's like, well, I mean, what, what if, I mean, what if they're there, they're praying and Jesus kind of just kind of leans a hand on someone. How's it going, guys? Just want you to know I'm hearing your prayers. And then disappears again. We don't have that, but he could. He did. I mean, it doesn't, the whole point is you just know he's there, even if you can't see him. Because when it talks about him manifesting, it isn't like Jesus showed up. He was there and then he just kind of made it clear that he was. So there we are all praying. All of a sudden, it's like Jesus materializes like a Star Trek thing. Hi! And you're like, oh, there you are. And he's like, I was there the whole time. Let me tell you, that was a good prayer and really stoked on your heart. And stop being so freaked out or whatever. And then, all right, go. And off he's gone again. Oh, and you're doing this, right? No, let's go back. Lord, power, because that freaked me out. And I obviously need courage. And, and you're in that. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, we look and, okay, this is weird. Never seen anything like tongues on fire before. And they land on our heads. That's a little weird, and that doesn't happen every day or ever. And then we, then all of a sudden, I look and I start going, and you like going, eh, molto bene. And I think that was that. Do you ever talk like that before? And you don't even know what you're saying. And while we're talking like that, a bunch of people are outside thanking God for everything that He's done to bring the harvest because it belongs to Him. And then they start gathering on. Hey, wait a minute. I think I hear somebody talking. And you step out, and you step out looking like the guy that nobody would think was educated. I'm not saying that about you, but that's the Galileans. So we kind of step out, and we're kind of rag toothed and disheveled hair, and we kind of, kind of, kind of come, come out of this thing. And people go, huh, wait a minute. This is not what I expected. <laughs> you know, I mean, they expected somebody in a nice Italian suit, and you kind of come out and go, hey! And someone goes, whoa! That's strange. And the whole idea is God wanted something strange to get that guy's attention so they could hear. And what it says is they hear him speaking the wonderful works of God. That's kind of a crazy thought. So that's what we're saying. The wonderful works of God in whatever language. God, you've done this. You've done this. You've done this. You're so wonderful. Look at what you've done. But what's interesting, for what it's worth, is when they do speak in these particular things in chapter 2, Day of Pentecost to come, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. For what it's worth, and I just kind of think this is interesting. Look at it with me. Chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. You would be devout if you travel eight, nine hundred, a thousand miles to come to this feast. God would call you devout for that. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Notice that. Remember, God says, I'm going to make you witnesses. I'm going to make you testifiers. And then they said, they were all amazed, and they marveled, saying to one another. Now, how could they say to one another? Because the only time in history since the Tower of Babel where everyone could speak the same language was here. God waited for that, by the way. Orchestrated that. So we could all speak the common language of Koine Greek. So though we had our own languages... Kind of like here in England, there's a whole lot of languages, but every you know you can there's sort of an English that kind of is spoken by most people here. How is it that we hear? Notice this: each in our own language, that which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites. By the way, that puts us the area all the way to Iran and Iraq, Mesopotamia, and then it says in Judea. Did you see that here in verse nine? Oh, that's kind of a funny thing, because what's the language in Judea? Well, it's Hebrew or Aramaic. Why is that so weird? Because that was the language they already spoke. And I don't want you to miss that. I mean, there are people speaking all kinds of languages that they've never, you know, they've never spoken before. But somewhere down the line, there's some guy, and he's just speaking the language he started with. Would you kind of feel? Would you kind of feel ripped off? 
Now, it does say Judea, by the way, and it could very well be, for what it's worth, as an American. It could be that all of a sudden he was an American. If We'll put it in the context of this. He's an American. There's a bunch of people outside gathered together in Hampstead Heath. We kind of fly out of this thing, and all of a sudden I'm speaking colloquial English. I mean, because it's like he's Judean. I mean, they're Galilean, but they're speaking Judean, which is a much more educated I don't know. But either way, they hear their own language. And here's the point. is The Holy Spirit comes upon some guy, and he doesn't speak in a different language, but he still speaks. And what he says is, God, you're awesome. Look at the great stuff you've done. Bummer, I don't speak like that, but it's cool what you're doing. Why is that? Because not everybody there was from Iran or Iraq. They were people from Judea, and they needed to hear it too. So we're all gathered together, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and all we know is we just start speaking. And imagine, I look at you and you go, and I'm going, ah, and then somebody else is going, well, how you doing? <laughs> and you think, dang it, I got that. <laughs> you got that, I got this. You know, can, can, we, can I get another tongue? <laughs> you know, that's, that's, what, that's what I, I got. I got this one. And then you go outside go, oh man, this is it. And then there's some guy with a big hat on going, oh, I hear that guy out there. This is weird. Here we are in the middle of Baghdad or something. There's some guy talking just in a language I can understand. And he's like all dark with a big long beard. And you go, that's weird. God says, Yeah. And then Peter, the guy who seemed to be the skin. By the way, the guy, remember, who said, I don't know him three times. But God highlights the fact that this guy was a big chicken. Big, because he could pull a net full of fish, but he freaked out at the Romans. And then at this point, he stands up and goes, hey, hey, hey. And now I can speak in English so everyone can hear and go, hey, by the way, for what it's worth, this isn't anything really that weird scripturally, because God promised it, it just hasn't happened before. That's why it's so weird. But this is what God said. This is just is ushering in a brand new season, and this brand new season is a time where you better get it right right now. And then 3,000 people respond, and as they respond, they say, okay, well, we'll take this Jesus, who he says, by the way, you killed him. God raised him, and he loves you, and he wants you. Take that gift. And they say yes. And get this, on this day, 3,000 people or so say yes to Jesus. And as they say yes to Jesus, guess what we have? The first great harvest. And God says, for a millennium and a half, I've been preparing you for this day. Where you keep saying, God, thanks for the new harvest. Thanks for the fresh harvest. And God goes, but, but food isn't the issue. You're the issue when we have our first great harvest. But when we laid it all before the Lord, we said, God, this belongs to you. This was your harvest. The rest is your harvest. Whatever happened, the church all of a sudden said, this is mine now. And God says, wait a minute, it's always been. I made the harvest. It belongs to me. Lay it down back at my feet. And all of a sudden you realize they became witnesses. And then 3,000 people, imagine if 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. There are conceivably places we could go on a Friday night down to Camden with a bullhorn. What if something like that happened and all of a sudden all of us, and, and if we looked really smart and we looked totally equipped, people would just go, oh, you're just obviously a linguist. But if you didn't look like that and you were just normal and then you started speaking eloquently someone else's language and they're like, whoa, you don't look like the kind of guy. And that's the cool thing about being an American. Because you know the joke? What do they call a person who speaks three languages? What do they call someone who speaks you know, trilingual? What do they call someone who speaks two languages? Bilingual? What do they call someone who speaks one language? American. Well, that's the joke. <laughs> and so when you're like, wow, and you start speaking this language, and they go, whoa. And you start speaking fluent Swedish, or you start speaking fluent Italian, or whatever. And people go, whoa. 
And it isn't like you. And here's the thing is at that moment, we, we knew the, the yuts we were before this point. So it wasn't like people go, whoa, you're pretty smart. Look at how well you speak. Then it would be natural to go, oh, yeah, well, wait a minute. Actually, I shouldn't speak this just a moment ago before that flaming fire thing came on my head. But all of a sudden we have this brand new church. And this brand new church is just made up of people just like us that are normal, ordinary people who now it's like, oh, you should have that too, man. Wouldn't it be really cool if these 3,000 people got that same power? But do you think at that moment what I would be saying is, wouldn't it be really cool if you could speak in another language? Wouldn't that be the coolest thing? So that other people could gather together and say you're cool for it? Or what if we all gathered together and, and something happened and it caused a crowd and then someone stood up and actually shared Jesus and they gave their life to Christ. Wouldn't that be cooler? Because Jesus said, greater works will you do than even what you've seen me do. Well, what's the greater work? Was it that they healed in a bigger or greater, more magnanimous fashion than Jesus did? No, we don't see that. They spoke in tongues. That was cooler than what Jesus did. I don't believe that. What's the one thing we see that's greater than what we see Jesus? 3,000 people just can't deliver it out of hell. How's that? In God's economy. And they're like, wouldn't that be cool if we did that? Wouldn't it be cool if we just said, God, power us up then? See, before we even get into the whole idea of spiritual gifts, and what God wants to equip us, and I can see why he wants to go weeks in this, it really all kind of starts with the idea of, are you just willing to let God power you up to do what he wants to do? See, let me show you something. Most of us probably have one of these because they cost like four pounds because it's Ikea. But, uh, you know, which... We all know what that means when you buy tools that are that cost very little. They're disposable. But uh, this is uh, just a, what would appear to be an ordinary screwdriver. Right? And um, there are ones you can get. Have you seen the ones that kind of they have the little motor on this? And you put a couple batteries in it, and then it actually spins itself. So you could just go, right, scaring in that screw. Well... The thing is, is that we all know different screws have different shapes, different sizes, especially now that, you know, whoever Mr. Philip is that invented it, you get the wrong one and you just strip the top of that thing and then you just have a, a, a nail. So um, what they do is, what I, what I like about this is it's got changeable heads, right? It's got, you know, the flat head. So you can put that in to screw in a screw that's got a flat head. That makes sense. And, and that's for that need. Um, it also has here, the, you know, the, the classic Phillips in various sizes so they can fit the right size. That makes sense. It also has other ones here for if you're familiar with what an Allen wrench is or those kind of things that have a star or whatever. And you kind of pop one of those in when they need. And the idea of it is, is that the person who's the craftsman kind of looks and surmises the need, sees what the hole is, and then he kind of takes a look and he kind of digs through his workbench here. And as he work, digs through his workbench, he goes, oh, yeah, that, that one, that, that one will fit it. That's perfect. So he takes that and then he solves the problem. He fixes and he mends it and then he puts it back into the right. He'll see another problem and he goes, oh, well, with that problem, we need a different head. Are you with me on that? Now, I would like you to consider this as we prepare for the weeks to come. And I just want to, I just want to pray today in regards to the Holy Spirit and us. First of all, we stop freaking out about him. He's not here. And I'm going to give you a couple of verses. One of them, it says, by the way, that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Do you realize what that means? Mm. What that means is, is that you have a say in this manner. God has no interest in, in basically just overcoming you in such a way that you're just, that you become an embarrassment to him. And what God really wants is he just wants to change the world. I've learned this. Anytime God comes and just overtakes me, I never regret a moment of it. I go, oh, that was really cool. Because what happens at those moments is I do what I can't do. 
Does that make sense? I mean, it's, you know, it's like in, in our own body, we have the closest thing we have is like an adrenal gland. You know, the situation where the baby's just about to get run over and you, some, you know, 80 year old woman grabs the front of the car and throws it and flips it on its side. And you go, okay, that's not normal. And, you know, just, and it isn't like she then, you know, kind of goes, well, that's because I ate bran. You know, in this, you know, she's as freaked out as anyone is. And God, by the way, doesn't... Aren't you thankful, guys, maybe you're not, that there isn't a switch that you could just hit that just kind of like superpower, adrenal, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, because then anytime we play a sport, it's like, let's kick that baby in and let's just... But what happens when you got a bunch of people that are basically all steroid late? Well, that's sports. Well, anyways, but the idea is that somewhere in that God had within us, latent within us, this kind of thing for those, those moments when it's needed the most to kind of kick it in. Spiritually, he's done the same. It's just his own power, and it's the power of his own presence. Now, if you would consider the fact that as we go into spiritual gifts in the weeks to come, and next week what we'll do is we'll start digging through some text, but we'll read through it today a little bit, just to kind of get a little idea of it. We'll read through Romans 12, because there's two things I really want you to see in context. But consider this. If this is you, if this is you, and the craftsman is Jesus himself, you realize the idea of it is he said he's got situations he wants to solve. A world he wants to touch and a broken world he wants to mend. Well, understand what spiritual gifts are. Well, that's these things. The idea is, is that God gives each one of us specific tips, if you will. And he says, well, for that need, that's a Sam thing. That's a Sam thing. And you know what? Because these three belong to Sam. So I'm going to just take that and put it into Sam right now. And let's go solve the problem. Now you're going, but I really can't. God goes, what? You can't what? This isn't, I'm the one turning the handle. I'm the one with the, I'm the craftsman. You're not the craftsman. You don't have to be the craftsman. Just be available. Be holy enough and available and vacant enough so that I can put it in when I want to and say, all right, here's the moment. Let's work it. And you're like, and you, you know what happens? Imagine if I were here and I was trying to fix something and I looked over and I saw this hole and I saw the screw loose and I went like this and then they, and then the um, screwdriver just went, hey, hey, ah. And I'm like, what? And I'm arguing with my screwdriver. And the reason I'm arguing is the thing goes, I've looked at the need and the need's too big and it's scary and that's a big screw. And that's going to take some muscle to get that thing in there. And I'm looking at it. Of course, it would be weird if I argue with any tool. <laughs> Unless I'm a construction worker. I think they all argue with their tools to some degree. But I'm looking going, it's not you. It's not you. It's me. I can turn it. You don't, you don't have the power to turn it. I do. You would all think I was weird. Well, wouldn't it be weird if that's the way we are with the Lord as his tools? And it's like, you know, the Lord flips this thing open. And by the way, I think that the Lord flips this open at church a lot. And as he flips it open, he goes, no. We've got a woman who just had an abortion. Hmm. This one. Now, I don't know which one of you that is. We've got a guy and he's tattooed and he's pierced and he's angry and he says he hates God but he's just lonely and he's frightened and he's going to freak out a lot of other Christians by this one this big one right here this this one this is going to work he's just got a screw loose and he needs he needs a tie you know and uh, and so um, I don't know which of these are yours I don't have to but I've noticed this in scripture that it was like, there's no one place where you can say this is just the list of spiritual gifts because to be honest every the two places where they're primarily addressed are two places where they're not addressed to give you a list to see which ones you have 
Now, the church will do that. I mean, we'll kind of, because we all kind of want to be used, and we're kind of going, we'll take this survey, see which things you have a propensity for, and you can check things. It's like you could have just given your life to Christ last week, but I've always been good with kids, or I've always been, and, I, and then they invent all of these bizarre spiritual gifts that aren't listed in Scripture, and they're like, well, I think I have the spiritual gift of leading worship. Strange that's not in Scripture. Well, it's actually not strange. But what happens is, is that the two places in Romans and in Corinthians where they're actually listed, what's funny is, is that what God is doing in all of that is he's saying, look, first of all, stop isolating yourself. Thinking that your gift isn't as good as someone else's? That's kind of the Romans thing. Trust God and then exercise your trust by using your spiritual gifts. Or Corinthians, where it's the opposite. You're a carnal church and you're just so stuck on yourself. Stop thinking someone else's gift isn't as important as yours. Which is really interesting because it's the one place where tongues is mentioned the most. And it tends to be exactly that. To this day, people are like, you know, I've got tongues and you don't. I mean, there are churches that will say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. And he ends chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians with, do all have the gift of prophecy? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do you, can you say no to two of them and yes to the other? He's going, stop thinking for a moment. You're cooler than someone else because your gifts, because this is your end, but this is theirs. They're just tips. The issue isn't the tip. The issue is the, the craftsman. And he's the one, by the way, who surmises the need and he knows what to use. So stop arguing with him. He's like, wait a minute, Lord, that needs too big for me. God's like, duh. Is that, you, did, you, did you just figure that out? <laughs> way to go. That just shows how good you are that it took you that long to realize you can't do this. And God loves a place where, where we're not self-deprecating, but we're actually just kind of going, you know what, Lord, I, I'm just available because this has never been about me. And God's like, well, good. Now that we've worked that through, then let's use you. But when I do something really superhuman and heroic through you, don't take the credit for it. You go, well, check me out. There I am. I'm the coolest screwdriver in the thing. You're the only screwdriver in this particular thing. <laughs> and then my tip, my tip, ooh, I, this is, I'm carbon, ooh, I'm a carbon form, and I'm just, I'm dipped in zinc, and woo, I'm shiny, and that's like, stop. You're, that's a tip that I gave you. Okay. Today, he flips this open. And in this church, there are going to be people that are going to nod and go, yeah, yeah, cool. I, I kind of get the idea, wacky metaphor, but it works. But he's not looking for that. He's not looking and saying, all right, I can consciously agree with this. He's going, um, I know, really, I'm serious. There are needs out there. Now, if we really did what these guys did, we wouldn't actually be, listen, we wouldn't even be trying to figure out where the needs are. We wouldn't even be trying to discover what our gifts are necessarily. Though he says desire them, what we'd really just be doing is being available. And this is my challenge to you is if you delight in the Lord, if you delight in the Lord, if you delight in him, you'll find yourself doing it. Because if you do, I mean, imagine if the craftsman reaches over and he knows where, what's in his tool belt. He knows what's in his bench and he can just know that's, that's it right there. I know it is. And you're just there. I'm where I, where I want to be. I'm at your feet, and I'm ready. And the Lord says, "Cool. Then let's use you." 
I mean, imagine if you were hiding, you know, in his tool in his, his toolbox, and he flips it open, and he's like, "Now where is it?" Kind of like some gals when they dig through their purse, you know. And it's, I know my keys are in there, and you know, and you're kind of you're digging, digging, and you do this thing, you do the shake, right? You know, because the shake says they're in there, right? So the keys are like, ha ha ha, tick 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 tick, oh they're, and it's like, and then you reach in and it just goes, you know, you know, you just ah, dang, and just kind of, I knew I should have got one of those teen purses that they're smaller, and I know as they get older they get bigger, and you know, because I'm more stuff now and, and now we as men we have man bags so we can get so we're like that's really dumb hold on let me go get my oh man I'll be right back and then we go hide so we don't do the same thing my iPhone's in here somewhere they should have made them round in it beloved listen God is, is looking and he's looking today and his, his, his work it's never yours it's his harvest and they belong to him and that's the cool thing and here's the craziest part now hear me out please God isn't just going. There's a there's a lost world out there, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use you guys. Well, sure he is, but do you really think that every one of us aren't construction sites? And when you look at all of these gifts as we get through it in, this, in the weeks to come, I, I, what part of this are we not going to get? Where God's like, look at what if I the tip I gave you um, is actually for a girl in the back. And you're like, well, but God, I'm still busy looking outside. I'm like, well, look at it. You're in my hand. I'm the one who's going to move you. Well, I'm still busy looking. Well, you know what? You keep your eyes on me. I'll do the rest of it. But God, I'm so busy trying to work for you. Imagine, there you are, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to... Ah. God says, look it. That's, that's silly. It's, it's my work. Can I, can I... And it's like, what if God used every spiritual gift he intended on us? Right here. Well, you know he's using one right now, right? Because he's teaching... And here I am at the moment. He stuck that thing in. And he's just kind of twisted me a little bit. Does that make me special? Yeah, it does. But it doesn't make me any more special than you. We're all special. Jesus loved us enough to die for us, for goodness sake. Well, for Christ's sake. Can I say that? Read this with me. And let's bring it around to a close. Chapter 1, or chapter 12, Romans. Verse 1. <clears throat> As God starts preparing us through 11 chapters of what it means to be used, and he says this, Now I beseech you, therefore, brothers, in, the, in view of the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God as your reasonable surface. That's the first thing. So what you're doing here, catch it, is you're just going, all right, here I am, I'm in your, I'm in your tool belt. I'm throwing my body down. I'm, I'm the handle. I'm cool with the handle. I'm throwing myself down. The problem with the living sacrifice, it is in the verb tense of do it and keep doing it, is, of course, that you keep crawling off the altar. That's the problem of being a living sacrifice. You're like, oh God, I love you. Ooh, it's hot. I'm going to get out. Okay, Lord, it's okay. Oh, it's hot. You too. You know, and the Lord's like, look it. The cool thing is, is that that's, that altar will always be there. Make it a habit. It may be an aerobic exercise, but just the same. Get up there and get up there and get up there and get up there. And it's like, man, if it's, and I, I can hear it in my own heart from the Holy Spirit when someone's like, oh, you're just such a, and God says, get up there, you know, or, oh man, there's a need and it seems so great, get up there. And I, because if my eyes are in the wrong place, I'll look at a need and it'll be way too big for me. And it always is. It should be. What's worse would be if I look at a need, oh, that's a small one. I can take care of that myself. God's like, no, you can't. You're just this, man. You know, it's like, you know what I do? If, if this is me, I'll do this. Yeah, that ought to drive it in. I didn't build you for that, unfortunately. So don't be conformed to the world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't look at this and then go, wow, I just was watching on, the, on TV and I saw that they have a new and improved one of these things that does it on its own. And God's like, it's, it's not you. I didn't build you that way. That's not what I want. Stop trying to look like the world. Stop trying to act like the world. Because what's interesting is there's a lot of things that purport as screwdrivers, but they aren't even screwdrivers. They're just really cool and they hang on the wall. Gold-plated, non-working screwdriver. Whoa, and I'm like, oh, I want to be that. Because then I can go on eBay and be auctioned off for big money. There's a screwdriver and it looks like the Virgin Mary. And boy, people really want... Look, you guys, like, I, I made you a tool. Because to be honest... When the house is falling apart, you're not going to grab the Virgin Mary screwdriver. You're going to grab the one that works. So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because then you'll be able to actually know God's will. Isn't that what he says? That you will prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I say this through the grace that is given me. Stop thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But as each one has dealt a measure of faith, then he says, well, we're all members of the body. But all the members don't have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Then having gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, well then let's use it. Let's exercise our faith. If that's prophecy, let's prophesy according to our faith. If we minister, let's minister according to our faith. If we teach, teach according to your faith. Exhorting, exhort. Give. And by then he gives these three things and we'll develop all of this in time, God willing. If you're going to give, give liberally, which the idea of that is without reluctance. Just give and give lots. No, we don't make a collection here, so it is not that I'm manipulating. I'm just telling you that's what the scripture says. So don't, I might actually just say this, we stop keeping score or taking inventory. You know, if God has actually given you that, then do it, whatever it is. Lead, lead diligently. If you show mercy, show it with cheerfulness, which by the way, the word is hilarious. Then he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Excuse me, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In our honor, giving preference to one another. That's what we're going to jump in next week. And I'm real excited to see where the Lord's going to go with it. Because what we get now is while how God has taken the meat of a sandwich and given us this beautiful bread on both sides to make it good. One thing I've learned about Europe is it's not just the insides that make a sandwich. In America, you know, people, they, you know, they'll say, well, what kind of sandwich is it? And all they're going to tell you is what's in the middle. It's a ham sandwich. Well, that means is it does well. You know that could be two pieces of nasty, stale green bread. It doesn't matter as long as there's ham in the middle. It's a ham sandwich, and I've eaten at places where that's clearly the case, and they weren't any less money. Here, it's like you've learned. Of course, every word they add to something, there's there's another pound that goes with it. You know, <laughs> Alaska baked, sunrise, free range, da da da. You know, massaged in the weekends, whatever, and then you get this whole long thing, asparagus. You know. Oh, on this, on this, on this kind of bread with this kind of thing, and and I mean, by the time you're done, you almost felt like you read the recipe. But it's like bread is really important, and part of it is it makes a sandwich. And and the reason I say that is in this issue of spiritual gifts, what we'll get next week is the beauty of its context of what God demands, not suggests, but demands when it comes to exercising these gifts. In regards to what He says, look at I want this motivation. I expect that, and I expect this attitude. So I want to challenge you as we go to prayer now. Read up on this. You can read Romans 12 through entirely. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in its entirety. As a matter of fact, I really think if you read Romans 12 through 14, there'd be a lot of places you go and you go, wow, have they never read this? Because there's so much of it that you go, that's, that's, pretty, that's actually very simple. But I, I want to end with this. 
I mean, in all of this, we're talking about being used, and it's such a negative term in the world, but here we're stoked with the idea that God would use us because the world gets changed, and we're just crazy little people that God uses in magnanimous ways. But let me ask you, I mean, if Jesus really did show his power to do all of that, it all starts with this. We're all sinners, right? I mean, can we all agree we've done wrong? We, we're guilty because of the wrong things we've done. And in a perfect kingdom, that means it has to be punished. That's the way God works. That's where any right kingdom is. I mean, if you don't punish the wrong, then it goes unpunished. That's unfair. It's wrong. I mean, in Shakespeare, when he actually wrote Othello, the bad guy, and I'm sorry to ruin it, seems to get away. And, and there, when Iago, that's the guy's name, when he actually was played in the Wild West in the California and so forth, when the guy did a good job, you could always tell because he got shot. I mean, literally, he would perform in front of cowboys. That's a tough crowd. And if he seemed like he got away, that, I kid you not, there are just story after story after story of these guys that they started fleeing off the side of the stage and a guy just jumped up and just filled them full of slug because he was so fed up with the idea that the bad guy seemed to get away. And you think, wow, this is the best performance, the only performance of my whole life. We have that attitude, but God punishes wrong. Now, here's the thing. If God loves you and he created you to be with him and he knows you're going to be stupid, he knows I'm going to be stupid, he knows we're going to get filthy, is there any other hope than us having to go and pay this price? Well, there's only one, and he left it from the very beginning. And it's quite simple. If somebody completely innocent that has no crime to pay for themselves is willing to stand in your stead, God is willing to take that. Well, that disqualifies me for you and you for me, doesn't it? And you can't say, well, I'm completely innocent, so I'll pay your crime. I mean, that would be a really nice thing, but we all can agree that would be delusional. (coughs) On the other side of it, there is one person equipped for it, and it was the one who made you, who in his infinite love for you said, I'll do it. And he decides in all of us, before you were ever made, this was what he was going to do. So he takes this sin and nastiness of you and of me and our thoughts and our intents and our secrets and our grossness and all of that. He takes all of that and he, in essence, takes it upon himself and then gets beat to death. And you think, what a horrible, wicked way to die. And God says, yeah, but if you could take all of Hitler's crimes, all of the crimes of every serial killer, every sick and twisted individual, what would you do to that? If you could embody all that sin, what would you do to punish it? You do what you you treat it like you did Jesus. But that's how much that not only he loves you, and this is something I had to learn starting about fourteen years ago, that God would choose to be a father too at the same time. I mean God could have done it all just by clothing his entirety in coming down and doing that. But to be honest, as a parent, I'd rather get beat to death than watch one of my children. And to be honest, I could in theory in my own righteous head, you know, heroic head, I could in theory die for you. I mean, if it was one of those situations where I just knew you were in peril, but I could step in and free you, I could I could probably love you that much, probably. But I'm just going to be honest to tell you, I don't love you enough to let my kids get get tortured for you. And I realize that's an entirely different pain altogether. And that the Father would choose to suffer both of those pains just to redeem you, that's a wild thought. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. And that Jesus would take all of that and, and suffer and then die. And the father would watch his son as his son cries out, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father. As he cries out, Father, my God, my God. And not to run to his aid, because if he ran to his aid, we'd all go to hell. That says something. And then for Jesus to raise again and say, now look it, I've done all of that work. 
And this is all I'm asking now. Like a husband, like a man in hot pursuit of his bride, he says, look, will you be mine now? And you're in a crisis of saying yes or no. That's as simple. And, and so that's your choice. Look at you don't You don't have to say yes to God, but don't blame him. He's not going to send you to hell. You're walking there yourself right now. He's trying to stop you. He's like, I've done all of this so you don't have to die alone, so you don't have to die this way. You say yes to me. And so will you? Because we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And, and I love the fact I get to rededicate my life to the Lord over and over and over again because I'm reminded of Romans 12, 1, and I'm going to go back up on the altar I go. But it's your choice too. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> God, I just want to thank you today for the privilege of being able to open your word, Lord, and to trust that you know exactly where we're going to go with all of this. And, and Lord, how you're going to make this such a precious time because I just pray for every Christian here first, Lord, that we would find ourselves just willing to constantly throw ourselves into your tool belt, recognizing you're the craftsman, your spiritual gifts are the tips you put on us to use us for the specific need. And we just want to be available. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would stop, first of all, trying to validate ourselves when you did it at the cross. And then we would stop trying to look down on anyone else as if they needed to be validated because they were also at the cross. We're all just desperate sinners and you are just a perfect, graceful God and gracious God. And so, Lord, I just pray that this week we would learn how to delight in you. Not so that you would give us the desires of our heart because if that's the purpose, we aren't delighting in you like we should. But Lord, that we would learn what it means to just engulf ourselves in you. And to be honest, if we could just be baptized with your presence every moment, every second, every breath, that we'd be completely engulfed in you. I would really love that, God. And that people wouldn't have to see me. They'd just see you. I'm good with that. And I think about what it would be like as, a, as even a screwdriver with that hand wrapped completely around me so that you, you don't even see me anymore. You just see the hand that moves me. And I would love that. So Lord, please, for um, every one of us here, for Christians first, that that we would stop trying to um, make ourselves important when you already did. And that we would delight now in that. And that we would be available for whatever it is. There's a broken world. There's a broken church. There's broken souls that desperately need repair. We are all in that. And we are thankful that you use us to do that. But Lord, I just also pray that there wouldn't be a single person in this room or within the sound of this, within earshot, that would walk out of here if he said no to this God who loves him so much that he'd rather die than live without him. And so, God, I just pray right now that if there be anyone that's still struggling with that concept or whatever, that right now, Lord, as we pray this prayer, that your Holy Spirit would show them that this is what they need. And if that be you and you hear this prayer as you listen to it, if you agree with it, and amen at the end says, I agree, let these words be my words. So have your way now, and Lord, and just speak and convince Lord, here's the prayer. I, I, I admit to you, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner, I'm filthy in and of myself. And you, as a righteous judge, punish all wrong, but you don't want to send me to hell. You don't want to punish me with the very things I have rightfully earned. And so you and in your infinite love sent your only begotten Son to pay that price for me. What an amazing love that is. And you said yes. You said yes to taking that torture for both Jesus, you and Father, you as well. 
And in that, that you would experience all that great grief just so that knowing in the end of it all, I, I could be yours. And so I pray right now that you would um, accept my surrender as I com- openly confess, Jesus, you dying and paying my price in full and raising again to offer me brand new life. So I say yes. Please have me, fill me, make me whole, make me pure with your purity and give me the life that you have that conquered the grave. As I say yes to you, be mine as I am yours. In Jesus, in your name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen. Amen.